Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. All right, welcome to the Out of Spec podcast. My name is Jordan Schieffer. I have with me Austin Schieffer. No relation. Just kidding. He's my brother. Um, and Ben, ben Spreen and Mike Breeling. And uh, I know the Olympics are in full swing, but everyone needs a break to talk about cars. Am I right? So let's jump right into probably me and Ben's favorite topic ever, Rivian. <laughs> I wanted to talk about it a little bit because this is a young podcast, so we have yet to touch on it technically. Um, so now's the time to talk about R1T, R1S, the Amazon van. Um, and I want to talk about things like production schedule, some new funding in the news, and maybe even the long way up. So first of all, Ben, what do you think of Rivian as of right now? I mean, I know it's been uh, all, all over the place, but. <laughs> yeah, before we get into this, I'm going to call dibs on R1T. Now you can yeah. get R1S. <laughs> Just to get the get dibs out first. Uh, I'm all about it. I'm a huge fan of uh, like Land Rover and you know kind of pretty premium but off-road rugged type products. Uh, I think the new Defender is a good product as well. But the uh, the new Rivian R1T R1S have a lot of that styling cue that I like, and truthfully, the interior just looks leagues better than anything else in that segment to me. You know, I know the F-150 Lightning might be uh, a competitor, but I kind of don't, don't, I don't know. It, I think it attracts a different buyer. You know, that's very traditional truck. This seems to be, how do we reuse the existing kind of confinement of a truck, but with uh, some clever ideas like the gear tunnel and the, the rail that you get with that, which we can jump into later. But uh, I'm all about someone taking like the whole quad motor concept and making it into an off-road you know, toy pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's more of the adventure minded person versus practicality. It is still practical by definition. Um, mm -hmm. Both the, and it's, it's cool that they're doing an R1T and an R1S because those are probably the two of the best selling vehicle types in the country. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, it's a full size pickup truck and a 
full-size SUV, basically. Yeah, yeah. So they're awesome. Um, I mean, I'm going to pull the picture here, too, just so we can get that on the stream. Yeah. But they are, I think, so I had never had any interest in trucks whatsoever. Austin had an F-150 a while back. That was terrible. Um, but granted, that was because of, yeah, it, it, it was a bad year for them. Um, but I see objectively it's a good truck. I just have never cared about trucks. Mm -hmm. And then the R1T was unveiled. And I was like, oh, so I am a truck person. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's I was very in similar feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I might go as far as to say that I think trucks are stupid generally, that they don't really ever use the utility that's provided and they're just worse in generally every other way than an SUV counterpart, except uh, I feel conflicted now because the R1T is gorgeous. Yeah, and they do cool things like that. The lights on the front and the back. I mean, I, I know it's it's striking, but Rivian, they can appeal to people who would have never been truck people. Now, that same <laughs> mindset can apply to the Tesla Cybertruck, but I would say they might be a different crowd, maybe. Although I've seen a lot of crossover of people who are interested in both. So, I don't know. Austin, what do you think? I was going to say, I, I'm interested to see who the buying population of the Rivian and like and the Cybertruck is it going to be people that are coming from higher trim level F150s GMC Sierras is it going to be people coming from Tacoma TRD Pros I think that kind of aligns more with like Rivian and and the lifestyle that Rivian is trying to like promote with their product um, but I'm also curious as to how many people Jordan like you said where you never even considered a truck until you saw the Rivian if it's going to be people that have never bought trucks before and they're going to be making a transition from a nice car to a, a truck. I, I don't know. I, I'm interested to hear y'all hear y'all's thoughts on, on that aspect of it. I think you're probably right. It's probably bringing more people into trucks from non-truck vehicles. You know, it's, I think it's an introduction, at least for me, like I never would have, I mean, I've always wanted some sort of nice off-roader, but like I would generally lean towards SUV. And I think uh, Rivian kind of nailed the truck. It's a very traditional shape as far as the silhouette, but it's got some very nice touches to the styling. It's kind of very identifiable as, you know, a brand. You can easily go, oh, that's going to be a Rivian. Just kind of it stands out in that, you know, even though it's within the same cookie cutter sort of shape, it still has a, a very iconic look. Um, I yeah. think the the light bars might be a little overdone these days. Everyone seems to be doing them, but what do I know? Uh, people are buying them. So that, I guess that's here to stay for a little while, at least the next five to 10 years until something else cool happens and rinse and repeat. That's kind of the only differentiator between the F-150 Lightning and the normal F-150 is those kind of light bars. Mm -hmm. And yeah. when I went to see it, I was very disappointed in how it actually looks up close. Like it looks like very kind of cheap clouded plastic rather than like cool futuristic neon light. Um, I know they're still working on it, so I'm not gonna hold them to that judgment yet until we get our hands on a production vehicle. But I think, you know, judging from all the close-up footage from like the, the show, The Long Way Up, I was very impressed with Rivian, even at that state. I mean, I know their interior was completely not production yet as of that show even though it's the steering wheel was from a kia if i remember looking closely <laughs> like the switches looked quite familiar yeah and all the little switches in the center console were like i mean basically like they had some like actual switches yeah <laughs> that like, button real, was like yeah switches, from, like from an airplane uh, from 1970 yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
But I love the attention to detail with Rivian and I value their transparency. So I mean, a lot of people have issues with Tesla because they are very like relatively secretive, kind of like Apple. You really never know what they're doing until they suddenly announce something. Um, although that's getting less and less nowadays with rumor mills going crazy and leaks happening. Um, but I feel Rivian's just been super out there with videos. I mean, they're showing videos all the time of all the testing they're doing and like mm -hmm. where they're doing the testing and what the dynamics are and just like where they're at. And they are very I'm just transparent with their wins and their losses. And so I do like that. I think they get less hype in some ways because they're not as like totally out there positive, like it's going to be the greatest thing ever like Tesla, but they're still very firm in their belief of their vehicle. And I like their attention to detail. Like even this, the sound screen right here where it's talking about Meridian, which I don't know too much about. They're um, a common brand that you'd find in uh, Jaguar Land Rover products, at least. Okay. Yeah, good in those. Great in a Range Rover. Presumably yeah. will be good in this. <laughs> Well, I'm, yeah, I can't wait to test the sound quality of the removable Bluetooth speaker. I will definitely be doing that. <laughs> I was uh, going to say that's pretty, actually one of the things big. I like. Yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 you know like the size of a this might be an ancient thing to say, but a twelve volt car battery nearly. It, yeah. I think it stows beneath the center console up front, but that's a good idea, truthfully. Yeah, I mean, I know like Wrangler, like Jeeps offer a removable Bluetooth speaker behind the passenger rear seat. But I believe the Rivian one, from what I've seen, looks a lot more high quality. Just it's got a built-in lamp there. and USB charging yeah. stuff, things like that. Um, and I, if it's I'm like actually, made by Meridian, it should be good. I definitely think so. I'm actually, you know, you're talking about how they seem to be happy, uh, very upfront. I've actually found that I think it's hurting their hype almost because they, it, at least for me, like someone who's used to following Tesla's every move and well, what are they doing? There's something new here in the firmware. How do we understand what that means for new hardware teams, et cetera? Uh, but Rivian, they just kind of came out against us about a year and a half, two years ago and said, hey, here's the new R1T that we're going to have it in two years. And it's basically everything you need to know. And it's kind of been not quiet. There's been incremental videos, but it's almost like they're being smart about it and not just uh, doing these big teasers or little like tweets where everyone's trying to de decipher it, you know, another massive video might be doing. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be, um, <laughs> it, it seems like they are reserved about it a little bit in the way that they're confident in the product almost. Like I think they're just, they know it's going to speak for itself and they're not, uh, like they don't have to market it, so to speak, in the same way that uh, some of the other things have to kind of stay in the news cycle while they're uh, being unveiled or until that unveil date. It seems to have a momentum that's just self-carrying. Yeah, yeah, but I, I like how you know what what does give them hype is the new videos we see about like the gear tunnel. Like it's fun. It's kind mm -hmm. of comical yeah. how the R1S gets no attention because the R1T <laughs> is such like a go-getter vehicle in terms of like what can this do thinking outside the box and like showing photos of like the camper on top of the bed the gear tunnel which now has like options for a full like kitchen the kitchen is um, so yep. cool <laughs> yeah so, i spec it every time when i build yeah. it i want a kitchen i want a kitchen and a tent and i'm good yeah, we all build Rivians every week and they're configured <laughs> i actually think that the as cool as the kitchen is the uh, what might I don't know if I would call it a game changer necessarily, but in the gear tunnel they have this. I forget the name of it. it. Slides out. It's what you put the kitchen on. It's that like rail 
like yeah. a rail system with power built into it. I think that's going to be really interesting to see because it's going to be probably four months and there'll be 12 or 15 different things that people have built and you know designed that are accessories third party for that. I know what I perfectly would really ideally have, and that would be like a refrigerator freezer type combo thing that would go on I'm there. Sure and someone have can... a product in no time. Oh yeah. yeah, and then someone can come up with a maybe more compact cooktop so that you fit both on that same rail. Or I'm sure there's going to be a lot of really creative uses for that. Maybe charging stations for something like zero motorcycles. I know some of the FX uh, uh, bikes have like a removable battery pack, so maybe someone could come up with a like a, a bracketing and mounting system. So you can kind of like load them in like a magazine and you get to your destination, pull them all out and you've got them all charged up. But so a lot of the opportunity dream. there. But that'd yeah, be the dream. Be great. Like four FXs in the back and then just a tunnel full of batteries and then four people yeah. in the cab and you just go out in the middle of nowhere and hound around the desert. You go yeah, and ride, come back, plop a battery in, grab one off the charger from the rail and hit the, hit the, <laughs> the trails again. You know, it's, uh, yeah. there, there will be a lot of stuff for that, I suspect. There'll be, there's going to be a lot. <laughs> I think Rivian has really nailed their demographic with a lot of those features, like the rails, like you said, Ben. It's something that most Overland guys do, and like the, the tent on the back is something a lot of Overland guys do. And then I think, Jordan, kind of like what you said earlier, the, the videos, all the videos we've seen of the testing, I feel like videos of testing it sounds kind of silly, but people who live that adventurous lifestyle like to see their products being tested because they mm -hmm. are willing to shell out for these high dollar products that can uh, sustain their, the lifestyle that they want to live and the activities that they want to do. I just think it's really interesting because like, like you said, Jordan, we don't see a whole lot of that stuff from Tesla. Like we'll see like zero to 60 numbers they talk about or like range numbers they talk about, but Rivian's like, Hey, this is a truck doing some really cool off-road stuff in like negative 30 degree weather. What do you think of that? <laughs> Yeah, if, if Tesla had shown testing of bulletproof glass before the Cybertruck was going, <laughs> like if they had shown videos of it not breaking and then it broke on stage, that would have been like funny, but people would be like, oh yeah, but it's actually good versus, you know, that's the only downside. It's a cool factor to like unveil something and show mm -hmm. a demo on stage, but when it goes wrong, then it's like you've lost everyone's trust. You know, there's been explanations here and there, but you know, even from the team, but it's like, and they never said anything about ball bearings. We don't know <laughs> about bullets yet. It's, it's right now, it, you know, that could still be true. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it will be. I think they hit the door pretty hard. I'm guessing it probably yeah, was the, more impacts than they expected to be the case. The explanation checks out, but sadly the explanation didn't get near as much exposure as the actual breakage. No. So, you know, that's just part I of the I was still play. working at Tesla at the time. And it was awful the amount of people that came in the next day referencing it. I was like, can you stop? Like, it's, it wasn't funny the first time, and it's still not funny. Um, I'm excited to see I'm when so the glad I left Tesla before that happened. So I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm excited to see when the Cybertruck finally does come out, whenever that is. That, um, do you still have your reservation? The, I still do. Um, I still made one that night, even though the glass broke. Um <laughs> But I'm really excited bucks. to see all the uh, Tesla truck owners that like put some type of decal on their window of just the shattered glass pane. I think that's going to be oh. wonderful. Oh, yeah. It'll it's, like, yeah. it's like back when iPhones first got custom wallpapers, everyone did the wallpaper <laughs> that makes it look like it's shattered, even though it was like a really pixelated screen, so it didn't even look real. <laughs> <laughs> I remember but that. I want, 
I wanted to talk about uh, Rivian timeline. So it's been delayed a couple times. You know, originally it was earlier this year, and then then it was July, which is now, and now it's almost August. We still don't have it. Um, and so I think it's now saying September for the R1T, and then an yeah, unspecified the date this fall for the R1S. Yeah, um, so that's it's a bummer. But again, it's like transparency instead of just saying it's delayed or not even talking about the fact that it hasn't appeared yet they are saying <laughs> they are saying it's <laughs> pandemic related you know semiconductor yeah. issues yeah. Um, and that's a big I, issue in the global supply chain these days not yeah. just for ev manufacturers but for everyone i mean if you look at some brands they're only giving you one key that i mean yeah. everything has <laughs> chips in it these days there's you know, the way I've been explaining to people is right now, Porsche on some Cayennes, the steering wheel doesn't adjust because the chips needed to get the the controller for that power steering wheel. They just can't get them. And Porsche can pay a lot of money to get those sorts of things <laughs> if it came down to it. So, but instead, they're having to deliver cars to people with a steering wheel that can be adjusted by the service team. But then once it's adjusted, it has to stay that way until the chips come back in. And if you think that they would save face if they could do it if, you know there's there was just no availability period it's not even a like a scarcity thing it's it's like if someone could pay i think it'd be them and they're not able to pay for it yeah your best bet right now is to buy a super base model car with no keyless entry no <laughs> if those even still yeah, exist they did like 10 years hard, ago. Buddy. <laughs> everybody needs to buy like a mitsubishi mirage and that's it uh, well, oh, yeah. So, I mean, Costco <laughs> delivered my fridge and they damaged the door. And now I have to wait like two months because they don't have any more fridges because it has a freaking full computer in it, even though I just <laughs> As want to keep my food cold. No, my fridge has to be on my Wi-Fi for some reason. Uh, <laughs> Everything does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have that problem. <laughs> I have a standard stainless steel refrigerator. It works. I think what Rivian is doing, like you said, Jordan, kind of it, it falls in line with how they've handled everything so far. It's transparent. They have it's excusable, kind of like Ben said, everybody's dealing with it. This is not a Rivian specific issue. Um, and I think because of what's been going on in the world, that it's it is a, it, it's a bummer. I would have loved to see Rivians on the road by now, but um, I think it is very excusable. And September is fairly close too, so. It makes yeah, me yeah. think that they're optimistic for how quick of a turnaround they're mm -hmm. going to have. And being not the first time they pushed it back, I would assume that the how close the date is is a reflection of the confidence they have that they'll be able to meet it. And it's not um, money reasons. Like a lot of times we'll see delays because they're running out of money or something. And we see some of our manufacturers just not even really appear. Um, versus Rivian seems to be, you know, what keeps recurring in the news too is just more and more funding. And mm -hmm. like the, the yeah. recent news was um, Amazon and Ford just put more money into private funding for Rivian. So I, I think they're probably doing well. And I, I literally, yeah. I can't remember the last time I was this excited for a new vehicle, let alone a new auto manufacturer. I mean, you know, 2012, 2013, I was like all hyped on Tesla. And now it's like Rivian because it's kind of on the the precipice of a whole new thing that I think we'll see a lot of, especially in certain areas like out in Colorado where I live. I'm going to see sure. everywhere. Oh yeah, I can't wait to see. I can't wait to <laughs> see the you know the Boulder people who you know you can't drive one block in Boulder without seeing a van that has been 
someone's house. So I can't wait to see Rivian Amazon vans. Like I'm wondering how soon I'm going to see old Rivian Amazon vans turned into the ultimate sleeper. Oh, that'd be a sweet camper, actually. I tell you what, (laughs) Rivian better open a showroom in Asheville, North Carolina, because that is a perfect market for their product. (laughs) Every other car is a Toyota Tacoma or uh, like Subaru Outback, but with lift kit and all this stuff on it. It's it's much like Colorado. It's like Colorado as a city. (laughs) It's like, you know, Boulder. Oh yeah, that's funny. Ben, I a comment I saw in one of the articles um, about Rivian was they're doing all that they can to avoid what Tesla saw in 2017 as production hell with the Model Three, um, and it, it mentions uh, panel gap issues that uh, owners were complaining about, along with paint issues. And I just thought that was really funny because I was at Tesla at that time dealing with those people uh, and Ben I'm not sure when you were at Tesla what time frame but I just think it's funny listening to people speculate about how Rivian's trying to avoid that because they saw Tesla have such a tough go with it mm-hmm. um, and now they're like doing everything they can to make sure the first products that come out are like top-notch which I think is good um, but yeah someone I don't know it's had, just super someone interesting had to spearhead it but yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I was actually, yeah, I was with Tesla from 15 through uh, 20, like January 2019, so hardly into okay. 2019, really. And uh, the amount of uh, people who had didn't know what a panel gap was, but knew that they had to look for them and had never <laughs> looked for one in their life on a car was astonishing because it, it's one of those self-fulfilling prophecies because no matter really what car, there's maybe some very few exceptions to this rule, but all cars, let's just say below $200,000 or something, you're going to find some slight imperfections, you know, maybe, maybe below a hundred thousand dollars, but it, you know, especially Tesla being a little newer, there were some things, but I think a lot of it got blown out of proportion. And the, the checklists I would see that owners would post online were just, you know, it'd be five, six pages long, test every window works, make sure that when the doors open, the little light bulb that lights up the puddle works on each door. These are things no one would ever check and generally the stuff they're testing are under warranty you know with the exception of maybe certain cosmetic items but um i think honestly the biggest issue i ever saw was more paint related stuff and i think this happened a lot um during like model three earlier model three ramp up like the first batches of cars are really pretty good because they were figuring out the process and then it was like that sort of like vid number range of maybe it was 27,000 to, you know, 100,000. That was a little rougher, I feel like, because there's, you know, you'd see trash in the paint, little things that just were under the surface of the paint. You know, it wasn't clean, something got in there. And and that is kind of annoying because you can't adjust for that. You have to repaint the panel. Um, you know, a door or a trunk is easy to adjust otherwise. But those things are, if Rivian can avoid, like, paint defects, that is the biggest issue, really, I think. You know, a door or a tailgate's easy to realign, though. And yeah, I'm... That thing- it's, it's that thing where, like, if people didn't make a big deal about it, all the people who wouldn't have normally cared would never have bothered. Yeah. Kind of like mm-hmm. um, when I was at when, – when Austin was dealing with this at Tesla, at the same time I was at Apple and the whole iPhone battery gate thing happened. <laughs> and so people – like, most people who actually came in just saw something on the news and thought their phone was under recall, even though they never actually had any issues with their battery. But it's just like from the popularity of the statements is when they decided to come in and get upset. 
Yeah, like I, people, I, I that, yeah. People don't get upset unless they're told that they should be upset, and then they come in. <laughs> and yeah, like you said, Ben, the lists when people would come in with those lists, and like I was at the time an advisor, and I would help out with um, deliveries when needed. And if somebody came in with one of those lists, like nobody wanted to do their uh, their introduction <laughs> to the car. And we had like an alligator clip on it. You'd be like, uh Oh yeah. And so, and funny story, we actually had, and I don't know if this is specific to my location, but I worked at one of the larger locations in DFW that did some of the highest volume deliveries. And there was a little tool that we used that had a, it was like a panel gap measurement tool in millimeters that had like what was considered like sound. And Mm -hmm. we would have to use that because people would say this looks misaligned. And we go up and say, that's well within spec. Like, we just have to show them. And I, I ask people, I'm like, have you done this with the previous car that you bought? And a lot of times they'd be like, well, I, I guess not. I'm like, when you went and bought your Chevy Volt, did you do this? Probably not. <laughs> and well, I, I think, you know, in, in some ways, at least when I was at Tesla, I would kind of spin it to some other uh, departments and say, you know, you should wear it like a badge of honor, at least to some extent, because it means you've worked and we've developed a product here that is so desirable and people are caring about it so much. They're doing something they've never done on any other purchase in their life, which is scrutinizing it, you know, and it's because they've been, you know, holding their breath for the moment of delivery practically. Um, but it, it does, I think at certain points, you have to have a little reality check of, let's go out and look at the Mercedes you drove in here today and uh see if we can find the same things because if you look you'll find something on any car um but it's it's funny you mentioned the little uh it was like a wedge tool i think i've seen that in fact before um because i had a a very early vin well i've had two early i had an early vin number model x and an early vin number model three and that wedge tool i saw the service team use quite a bit on my x because it also i think helped them get alignment right so that the doors would they were they're clipping on the rear fender (laughs) (laughs) so well, speaking of being upset, I wanted to touch on this topic really quick. <laughs> the GM being upset over Ford for what I, I guess my hot take is this is getting a bit ridiculous, but it, it leads me to a question of semantics for the names of driver's systems or even just car things in general. It's, it's almost getting impossible to remember what the proprietary quote-unquote self-driving. It's really not self-driving. People call it that all the time. Like radar cruise control. Instead of calling it radar cruise control in every car, it has its own special name, which, you know, I wonder how far that goes. Like at which point are we going to start seeing things like brain eradicator versus sprinkler deterrent system versus windshield wipers? Like when does this end? Um, So I saw this headline and it was like, a relatively big headline on a lot of sites, and I was like, "Wow, this is oh yeah, it's getting intense." <laughs> it's cracking. I'm the up only when I saw it the first time, it just made me laugh. <laughs> is it more about Super Cruise, or is it more about their cruise, their driverless um, tech company? Because I, I guess I could see that maybe, but they the are is a, for a word that's common, you know? Yeah, and that was that was Ford's rebuttal. Is like you can't just say you can't use the word cruise when you're talking about your yeah. like radar assisted cruise control because cruise control is shortened to cruise in a lot of systems. And they brought up in, yeah. in this article, and I think a few others, they brought up a lot of the other systems that incorporate the word cruise. And I think it's just Chevy being mad at Ford, which I find really funny. 
Yeah, I, I think it, it feels a little petty. And although I've heard at the same time from these big companies' endpoints, if you don't defend your, your uh, IP, your trademarks, uh, things like that, then you basically set yourself up for them to be taken. And, well, you didn't do anything about it last time, so it's sort of a precedent almost. And I've heard that to an extent, so I wonder if it's a little bit of that. But, I, you know, it, it, so, I mean, there's Hyundai Smart Cruise, cool. for instance. I'm sure that's even listed as one of the things. And Hyundai Smart yes, Cruise yeah. is just as right close here. to the other ones. Smart right might be like a GM versus to... Ford thing. Yeah, it's just a Smart. Detroit thing. Yeah. <laughs> Smart sounds way closer to super than blue does to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very silly. It makes, I don't, I didn't, I read the article and I was like, I don't understand what they're angry about. They don't even sound the same. It, Super Cruise, almost, Blue Cruise, it's completely different. It, it almost leads me down the thought process of the money spent on suing them is probably less than what they will gain from the advertising of this being a thing. <laughs> yeah, if anyone's benefiting, it's Ford. Because <laughs> you see Blue Cruise everywhere, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is funny. You go, what is Blue Cruise? Let me look that up. Oh, I want that in my next they're Apple also, <laughs> They're also benefiting GM by suing them for that same reason. So, yeah, it's kind of funny. And meanwhile, yeah, like BMW, Active Cruise, or are they Smart Cruise? Which one's what? No, yeah. yeah. Hyundai is Smart BMW's Cruise. BMW is Active, active yeah. Cruise. Yeah. And then there's Nissan uh, out there with ProPilot Assist. Uh, that's actually, like like that's a decent, decent name. I didn't have a problem with that one. Yeah, I'm surprised um, Tesla didn't for the pro-pilot. It's pretty cool. It's not a big suing company, generally. I mean, it happens, <laughs> no. but it's more about intellectual property and stuff. Yeah, they're, they're more chill. about more about <laughs> defending when they get sued. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I, I also want to talk about um, Tesla Model S Plaid, which we talked about on our first podcast, so two weeks ago, depending on when you're watching this. Um, so that's not news, but the reactions are coming out like fire. I mean, everyone, just like when, you know, P100D came out, P90D, P85D, every time those came out, headlines came out of people like experiencing stuff for the first time. So what'd you think of those? <laughs> oh, I thought we had already seen those, but yes, they're they're inter definitely entertaining to watch. I, it's my big takeaway has been the 60 to 120 mile an hour really is the most impressive thing. I mean, traction's a limit below those speeds generally. So it's not unlike a Taycan Turbo S or a P100DL. You know, it's a little quicker, obviously. But once you're up and rolling, then then you're feeling something different. When, in my time working there and driving, the the, I, the last car that I drove when I worked there was the Raven uh, Performance Model S. It was like the fastest thing that we had. And I felt that the performance Model 3 was faster in that 60 and up sprint compared to the uh, Raven Model S. It may not have been, but it felt that way. Mm. And I was really shocked to see when um, MKBHD put out his video about the difference in that 60 to 130. It's like half of what it was in the Raven Model S. Um, compared to the Plaid, which is crazy. It was like nine seconds to four and a half seconds from that 60 to 130 number, which is absolutely nuts. Yeah, there it is. And I, I love this graph <laughs> for the fact that it's showing something very interesting. I do have one little nitpick with it, and this is just the, the data scientist within me or whatever. 
it starts at four seconds on the um, timeline, which then it kind of, like you said, it's just about twice as fast as the 2019 Model S. Mm -hmm. But it looks, it's scaled in this graph in a way that makes it look, you know, three, four times faster. And that's always just a thing of mine. I don't like it when graphs don't start at zero. <laughs> I think it, you lose some information. <laughs> But, yeah, it's kind of funny. So yeah, MKBHD, you know, he, and he compared it understandably to a lot of very high performance cars and supercars. And then that was one of the other videos and the headlines was like, you know, supercar owners being crazy, freaked out about this. And I actually wanted to get like, I mean, I'm sure you guys have experienced a lot of performance cars. And especially if you guys like having a 911 and a Tesla, it, it's the Tesla, what, is probably faster, but... Oh, yeah, there's yeah definitely. There's sure. something about the the noise, like... Um, we I mean, it's... In it... Dallas. <laughs> yeah, we have a friend saying... in Dallas who has, like, gotten McLarens, and I've ridden in one of them, Austin's ridden in all of them, and they're slower than a P100D, but the experience is more freakish because of the noise right behind your head yeah. of that engine. <laughs> And, and those cars are probably still faster once you're actually up and rolling. You know, it's more of a traction off the line. That, you know, that's where instant torque is very helpful. And the precision of an electric motor is very beneficial. But, you know, I've uh, spent a lot of time in Model S, X3 performance. And at least with the S, and I'm sure there have been some improvements to Plaid, but it's not necessarily a vehicle platform that's super rewarding to drive quickly, if that makes sense. Like to to take to a track or to uh, you know, go out and exploit for just pure driving pleasure. There are cars that do a better job uh, at that. That's certainly how I feel about the 911 versus my Model 3 performance. One's very good for everyday use. And you know, if it comes to mountain roads or I'm out there and the, the goal is fun, I mean, I think that Porsche's kind of got the edge there. And it'll be interesting to see if Plaid helps there because it's, I think, very technically impressive, but it may not necessarily have the same kind of feedback that you might want in a you know dedicated performance vehicle, um, but I'm glad to see they're bringing it back to the Nurburgring because I think that's an area where you can always improve those things and uh, learn from it. Yeah, yeah. In my experience riding, so I rode in a 720s, and this was when I was working for Tesla. So having driven a lot of like the really fast Teslas, and then riding in a 720s, which is comparable in a lot of the stat sheets. Um, there's actually a video of me reacting to like a zero to 60 run in the 720 and my facial expression is, um, is I look shocked because the way that rear wheel drive car took off, I was not expecting it in the slightest. I was expecting it to be kind of like we talked about a lot more like in that mid range, be able to accelerate very quickly from like 60 to hundred, 120. Um, but the way it took off was like Jordan said, it was just like having the turbos like literally right behind you and listening to them spool and then a rear wheel drive car hooking as much <laughs> as it did. It was incredibly impressive, but um, I don't know. When I was working at Tesla, I also worked at an event where all I did was launch a P100D over and over again for like different groups. <laughs> I've done one of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, we did break one, but other than that, it was okay. <laughs> Kyle, actually, Kyle and I, maybe we should tell that story because. Uh, Technically, he broke it, but I set him up for failure <laughs> in that instance. So uh, we should say it made that, a really bad a noise, story. and I was like, "Oh, I'm not gonna drive that. I'll park it." <laughs> and said, "Hey, do you want to drive the car?" But that is actually—I think I have photos even of the 
the damage, which would be interesting to, to share. So that'll be a good uh, future topic. Stay I'd tuned. To hear that story. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just funny because I was there seeing everybody's first reaction to being in a car that quick. Um, and it's just interesting because having almost being numb to that and then getting in a car like a McLaren 720 and experiencing that acceleration, like you said, Ben, it's entirely different. Oh, here's the video. <laughs> <laughs> just like that. You've yeah, the just video. like that. Yeah, it's. it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the 720s is zero to sixty is, but I mean that's like it's the metric everyone, everyone uses to compare it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I forgot he did a whole like meme of it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's I think it's just over three seconds. I want to say it's like three mm -hmm. two or yeah. three three something like that. Um, so yeah, it's very quick and especially for a real drive car, I think that's what caught me the most. Like I wasn't really bracing for something to like be that quick off the line. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I don't know, seeing these, the video of like supercar owners react and like just how hard he's punching. It's just funny. And in my experience facilitating test drives, like that makes people sick pretty quick and it gets really <laughs> old when you keep catching them off guard. Like it's funny the first time. But he just kept doing it. I was like, man, that's not cool. But yeah, it does speak to, I know Platt, like Ben said, Platt is like technically speaking also impressive because they've really focused on like cooling. And so, <laughs> you know, it's not a new thing to take a Tesla to a drag strip, but after a few runs, it would be noticeably slower if you could use the word slow. I mean, still, you need a bit of cool down time. Uh, between yeah. each each kind of run out if if everything's at its highest temperature you know ludicrous mode plus at least uh although you know kyle and i took his model s ludicrous and i don't think we had thermal issues when we were at this strip but you know it was a, an event so we'd run it we'd be in line there might have been 10 or you know so cars that went before us each round so it, it's enough to recover for that sort of a thing but if yeah. you want to do back to back to back to back, you know, that that was, I think, where you notice it or for sporty driving. I don't think it could even do a lap of our track um, up here yeah. without thermal throttling by, you know, probably halfway through. Whereas we can run the Model 3s around pretty much all day and not run into much of a problem at all. Well, you did. Yeah, I know. So. We did. Yeah, <laughs> we did that for like a whole day with 40 cars. Yeah, then they were fine. <laughs> Yeah, I know the Model 3, like Kyle's 3, because he took it to the Salt Flats, and then when he was talking to Matt Farah about it, he, it would like be really impressive for about three runs and then like have noticeable drop-off. But that was like top speed runs. So he did like 160-ish. Yeah. That's a really long, sustained, full power output. Yeah, That's yeah. about as versus, torturous as you can do any any vehicle. Yeah, versus all the Plaid videos I'm seeing are just like, that's been a lot of the not the general public's assessment because they're all just still freaking out about acceleration, but mm -hmm. all the, like the super nerds are pointing this out of like, wow, yeah. the thermal, the thermal capability I, is impressive. And for, for as much as people are saying that at the same time, I feel like we haven't seen much of its thermal capability yet either. Cause yeah. you know, from my perspective with EVs, what I'm more curious about is sustained hard driving rather than just zero to sixties. Cause after a while, I mean, that's, that's not something I think, I don't think I'm ever going to do a hundred back-to-back launches. I think I'm more likely to be on a track or do, dealing with more spirited driving in that sort of a manner. Uh, that is what I'm excited to see more details on. I think, you know, if they, the, I think the battery cooling is already there. It sounds like it's more that motor design they've come up with is maybe the key to allowing that to happen. 
Yeah, and I'm such a proponent for light and whippable cars, so I'm really <laughs> excited. I mean, when we saw like headlines about, I mean, we don't really know any details, or maybe some people do, but the Porsche Boxster going electric at some point, like that caliber of car is what I'm much more intrigued by because of the track or canyon driving where mm-hmm. you know model s and tycon like they blow your mind at stoplights but like when when you're on a tight corner that keeps happening over and over and over again it's like you don't even need the acceleration or top speed and if you do it's actually almost dangerous i guess so uh, i'm i'm really curious to see you know the the roadster would be my dream car even though it's a couple years late um and you know driving the original roadster was probably still, still my favorite car i've ever <laughs> driven it's just what's keeping me from buying an old roadster is the fact that it's an old tesla and tesla <laughs> won't touch them anymore so it's like no. yeah it, yeah there's a lot of issues a <laughs> yeah no. Yeah, I, yeah. I actually, it, and, and this talk of EV and gas performance is an interesting one because I found the issue with EVs is you get into this nuclear arms race of acceleration because um, the the second you have one for any amount of time, because of how accessible the performance is on a daily basis, you just put your foot down and you go. There's no drive modes necessarily. There's no, you know, you know, you're just pushing the pedal basically. Uh, well, that's what makes them used- great commuters too it does uh, but i find you get used to it very quickly so like after a while the p100d didn't feel quick anymore and it started to just kind of feel like oh, it's just another car to f florida and you know we've done it enough by <laughs> your, your butt dynamometer is calibrated the you know g-force whatever you want to call it you just have gotten used to it and uh, i feel like that is the one thing that we're going to run into more and more with evs is we're kind of already there with Everything's kind of at about a, a, almost a theoretical limit, maybe not quite, but getting to this this point where there's not much left that can be, you know, it's not much on the table to pull from. And so where do you go from there? And will the normal EV buyer care about that sort of thing or not? I think for me, it's something I would really value is the rest of the driving experience and the way, you know, it, it drives from a cornering perspective, not just a raw number perspective, but just the feel more so. And I, I think it's almost like once you run out of your mutually assured nuclear arms race of acceleration, where do you go from there? Because it's a little bit trickier in an EV because you're losing some of those senses. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of the, I don't want to call it gimmick in a negative way, but the, the gimmicks and uh, stuff that you get with Tesla with the apps, games, you know, you, that way you have things to continue talking about almost, if it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're just so big and heavy, which requires that much power to move them. And because of the the bulk and the weight, that does help numb the experience, which when you're buying a comfortable daily luxury vehicle helps the experience because you want it to feel like a king bed versus like wanting something raw. (laughs) I can speak to that directly. I mean, my Audi e-tron weighs yeah. over 7,000 pounds oh <laughs> and it's just, Oh, it, it's extremely heavy, but yeah. I don't, it's super comfortable to drive. I mean, that's all. And it's, it's quick enough. I mean, it's way quicker than most of the gas cars I've ever owned generally like for passing or certainly get off the line. Um, and compared to the te- uh, Ben's model three performance, Obviously, it's not as fast as that, even in just passing, but 
for a 7,000 pound car, it gets up and moves if I stop it. (laughs) Yeah. So it's really just waiting for the technology to improve. Like I, I paid a lot of attention to the last Tesla battery day um, because Elon was talking about, you know, batteries eventually becoming like a structural component of the car and the batteries Mm -hmm. can be at some point modular enough to where they're not just like a rectangular format. Like it could be, you know, used in the shell of the car, which would at the same time add rigidity to the car. And he made the example of like a convertible and how the windshield holder is like a scary crumple zone. So all I heard from that was like, oh, cool. So they could really do a lot with more Roadster type vehicles. Although the issue Mm -hmm. there is no one really buys them. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. smart business sense no <laughs> yeah no. terrible business idea but it selfishly makes me sad um so i don't know that's we're in such this we're in this huge like advent area of all these new evs new companies new evs by existing companies so i don't know it's it's pretty exciting and i think it'll it'll lead to a lot of news we can throw around the podcast um yeah but i i wanted to bring up some sad news i think um so I love big, heavy, powerful cars, but I really like tiny, lightweight cars with no power. Um, I wanted to get your guys' take on like a key car, um, the famous Japanese, you know, a lot of them are 660 cc's or so, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, some are not like the Delica. Um, so that's what kind of made news was Maine is canceling the registrations of imported JDM cars, which scares me because one of my dream cars is like a cappuccino or an AutoZam AZ1. And if Maine does this, who else is going to follow suit? And it made me like sad and angry at the same time. So I don't know. I'm going through emotions. What do you guys think? I thought it was really strange because there's stuff, the way they're justifying it, if I recall, was, oh, well, it's an all-terrain vehicle, ATV or something. Yep. So it's, it's therefore not, but that's a really broad classification. I mean, I drove my Model X off-road. Is that an all-terrain vehicle? It probably saw more off-road than some Delicas might. So it it just felt like it, it was not a thought-through process in Maine's part and how they're handling it. I don't, it, it, if, if I'm honest, it feels like someone has a vendetta against their neighbor who has one and as a result is taking it out on the entire <laughs> state. It just it didn't feel like there was a whole lot of argument or, or logic to be made for supporting it other than, you know, it's not federalized, but that's the whole point of what this 25-year uh, import law allows for. So I, I, I have very negative, and they didn't quite give the answer to, I think it's just a Jalapnik, well, it was, I probably mention it, but yeah. it felt like they were given a non-answer about it too, multiple times, even though they asked. I guess they classify the Delica as some kind of, like it, it didn't meet federal emissions or safety standards, but that is kind of a moot point really with the 25 year import law and Maine create has another law a statute that sounds like a disease or something i think it's called it's like a MRSA 354 or something i don't know <laughs> it, it sounds terrible but it's something to do with like what you had alluded to where off-road vehicle cannot be registered in the state for road use. So basically a bunch of owners who have imported, whether it be Delicas or uh, that little Honda car that you like, what's it called, Ben? The little oh, Honda. The Honda Beats. Yeah, the Beats. I love there that. There you go. 
uh, technically you're not going to be able to register them in the state of Maine. And it sounds like those who had now are having their registrations canceled, which Mm -hmm. if you think about it, I guess the state just doesn't want that extra registration income money anymore. I I can't imagine uh, owning a vehicle, driving it legally, doing all the steps to legally drive something like this. And then them just saying, Oh, by the way, you can't anymore. Sorry, but you're, you're no longer. I think that's really, I think the biggest issue I'm finding with this is, uh, you know, you're taking away something people have been using and that you already approved and not just locking people from adding more, which is even worse. And it's not an easy process to to import something and register it. Like it's a fairly yeah. lengthy and costly process mm-hmm. um, to do. Because yeah. I've, I've looked into it. I have a bunch of JDM cars I'd love to own one day. And it, I like you said, it's it's kind of crazy to not just have this be for future, but for current as well. It yeah, like you said, this seems like a vendetta to me, and like somebody's not happy about something, um, and they don't want anybody to have them, which is just crazy to me and the article is the i think it's somewhat misleading because it makes it sound like they're canceling all jdm cars but the more i'm reading it into it it seems like it's only ones that could theoretically be considered off-road so in theory the beat the cappuccino and the az1 would be safe um it seems like the reason they're canceling these all-terrain off-road type vehicles and the, their justification is what it's not federalized emissions and safety equipment are not you know yeah, standardized for US. The city. but the, but those their reasoning for it would apply to any other car regardless of the all-terrain thing uh, so it, that's what i i kind of wonder is it so you can uh we, we have this set of guidelines we want a car to meet for safety emissions and uh you know federalization standards but the exception is we won't do it for a uh, vehicle that has four-wheel drive or something, you know, all-terrain capability. So <laughs> we'll allow the other cars that don't meet those rules to still drive around. That seems kind of like it, it's yeah. not a complete, it sets a weird precedent, honestly, that they, I don't see any reason they couldn't block the other stuff. And it could take a slippery slope argument of, so at some point, any car, regardless of imported or not, will be illegal after a given number of years because that'll yeah. be enough years of safety improvements to where, mm-hmm. like, oh, you can't drive that 10-year-old Sonata. It's It doesn't have the modern airbag requirements. <laughs> yeah, or emissions standards that have been updated over the past two decades. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of what they go into. They've modified, I guess, that statute to say, oh, these cars don't meet these standards, so we're not going to allow them to be registered on the road for this, for your, your safety, the safety of other road users and the environment because they're just polluting more. Yeah. And, and it's funny. I, it, I just noticed this is a newer article than when I'd read, but they're talking about uh, their mini truck is one of the words that they're using as justification. And, and yep. it feels like that vehicle's caught up in the mini trucks, you know, in that category B. Uh, something like a Honda Acti van or whatever, these really compact vans and trucks and pickups sort of cab over generally that you'd see. Uh, I know those are really popular imports for people who have like a farm or property to have something, you know, like a side-by-side golf cart style replacement. Mm -hmm. I think they're trying to get at that, but it seems really weird that maybe Delica is considered part of that. You know, it's a much larger vehicle, obviously. It feels unthought out. It it, it seems like collateral damage or something. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And it, 
makes me that makes me mad too if you make it on the emissions factor because i mean i know there's so many like loopholes and ways around that but it drives me nuts if i you know want to consider removing one of the two cats in my car which they've proven one is plenty enough for the sniffer test so it's just like needing two cats is required because it came with two cats because of california meanwhile there's like crazy diesel trucks that are blowing black smoke all day and somehow had an ex exemption and even if in colorado at least if you spend enough money trying to quote unquote fix your emissions you can get an exemption if you've spent enough and it's still not fixed so it's mm. like it, there's all these weird huh. rules around it and yeah it's i don't know emissions are frustrating sometimes <laughs> Yeah, it, I honestly don't even think it's an emissions thing. The more I look at it, it just feels like it's a, they're just trying to justify the reason they're not allowing them, but those reasons they've listed would apply to any other legally imported vehicle. Uh, but because they're not all terrain or four wheel drive or whatever it might be that they classify as, those ones are fine to be polluting and unsafe and, and dangerous and non-federalized. That, that seems really odd to me. Especially considering the uh, four-wheel drive all-terrain all kind of vehicle is more likely to be used off of the road, anyways, where it's less of an issue in the first place. Yeah. I don't, I don't see this holding up, but we'll see. It's one of those like weird, obscure, small stories in a state that doesn't get in the automotive world much news, and I'll probably still follow it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's probably just going to result in everyone filing a thirty-five dollar LLC in the next state over yeah. and registering them that way. It's that's not going to really do anything. I mean, that's what I would be doing. It's like forty bucks yeah. done, registered. It's probably cheaper that's... anyways to register it outside Maine. Yeah, I mean, hopefully I... it just doesn't spread to uh, New Hampshire or Vermont. You know, if it starts spreading to the surrounding states with similar kind of statutes on these uh, JDM imported cars then there is certainly a bigger issue. But I yeah. agree, Jordan, I don't know if it will hold up for very long. I mean, I'm sure it sounds like there's going to be some back backlash over it. Um, I mean, I've heard people even at work who I didn't even bring it up to have mentioned to me, oh, did you hear about this law in Maine? Because we talk about these imported cars, like we'll look at them you know, together. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I did actually see that. So it's it has spread amongst the automotive community, which is very large. So hopefully it, it doesn't take ground because I know uh, I've looked at buying Delicas, so I really want to own one one day. That's going to be very cool. Yeah, yeah we went down the DelicaUSA.com rabbit hole about three <laughs> months ago. I came very close to buying one. If the Porsche hadn't come up for sale, I think <laughs> probably would have been a Delica, Delica instead. Yeah, I, there's a nice yeah. space tour I had picked out and everything. It's good trim <laughs> level. Well, there's also the Toyota Hi Ace though. So yeah, that, yeah, another um, good one. If you want three? Centers. I've driven one of those in South Africa. Actually, it was. I mean, it was fine. There's nothing remarkable about it. It was yeah, a two-wheel drive one. It's fine. So, you know, well, yeah. It, I asked it felt my... like you're in any other. It felt like a Tacoma in the front, you know, kind of really long gear throw and all that sort of thing. Gutless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I asked my friend, uh, my friend Sean imports cars. That's basically, you know, it's not his main job, but it's his side gig. Um, so his three cars he owns is a Mark III Supra and a Delica and an Evo 3. Yes. And they're all imported right hand drive and he has like three cars in canada kind of waiting because they have slightly different rules so just mm -hmm. sitting there 
and he's got a few cars in Japan sitting there and they're like legal in a couple months. And it's like, so he follows all this really religiously. And he, that's the point he made is like, well, if Maine does this, they're all going to just go through Vermont. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> they're just going to get it all season Vermont or everyone's going to do the Montana thing. Like it's, huh. yeah, it's almost yeah. like you're by making this a law, you're not really stopping anything because the people who go through the work to get these cars are willing to go an extra step to still get these cars. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know. look, they've jumped through 17 hoops to do it legally. Now they'll just jump through 18 hoops to do it semi-legally. <laughs> but you won't get the registration tax collection in Maine anymore. So they'll lose some revenue. Yeah, they're just losing income. So that's why I don't yeah. understand why you don't want the extra registration income. Yeah. Oh, 80 bucks a year. Okay, cool. But the Delica. It'd be so interesting funny. though. It sparked the like. Oh, here's why we're changing it. What sparked it? Like, who, and we'll never know. It'll never be something we'll know. For all we know, it could have been some like Toyota lobbyist group or something that said we don't want these on the road because we want someone to go get a Tacoma or whatever. And <laughs> Bill was drafted for a politician who never even read it. You know, it's who who. It could yeah. just be some weird. You know, if you follow the money far enough or the process fall enough it ends up in something completely unrelated to the vehicle in the beginning <laughs> i want a delica too though i mean turbo yeah four-wheel drive like this sounds like a gtr until you mention like it's a van <laughs> yeah. if you decide to go supercharged mid-engine rear-wheel drive you could go with the previa so you've yeah. got another van option still got which off. was made for american market yeah well yeah speaking of turbo diesel um, I want to talk about this. Actually, you got to oh, yes. it up. But Ben, take us away. <laughs> okay, so um, uh, Kyle and I, we've had a lot of BMWs. And so when we went to service them, we you need someone you can trust. So Chris Gerber over at G3 Automotive is someone who we've gone to for a long time. He's a big car enthusiast, uh, knows who's doing BMW Master Tech, uh, very thorough guy. He is currently on Cars and Bits selling his 2010 BMW 328i sports wagon with a six-speed manual. But it's a little different. It has the, uh, I think it's the M, M54? I can't remember now, I'm drawing a blank. M58, uh, whatever it is. The, it's the straight six diesel engine that you would find in the US, at least in a uh, BMW let's, you know, X5 diesel or uh, 335D. M57. M57, thank you, yes. It has a 330D manual gearbox that had to come from Europe because we never got any of those you know, combinations in the U.S. to go with M3 suspension and brakes, a limited slip rear diff, uh, and it's all factories put together. So it's all BMW parts, which is pretty cool. And uh, these cars are kind of like Legos. You put all the bits together, you program it all up, and you don't get warning lights. You can go into the iDrive computer, and it will even measure the oil. But the, the real fun of this thing is getting a manual diesel wagon in the u.s something that is basically a non-existent vehicle category um you know it's uh, i can't remember what the power out is on it it's, it's probably different now that he's selling it. it's probably even higher but i think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of you know maybe 400 uh something horsepower and 500 600 pound feet of torque and you get a really different type of power delivery out of this and uh it's as good of a build as you can and yeah, I, I would suggest go take a look at it in uh, Bring a Trail. You can see some great photos of me ruining the tires of his car on track. <laughs> um, he asked me to come out, and I, I don't know what favor I was doing. I felt like I was just doing <laughs> harm to his tires, but hey, you know, someone's got to do it. It's a tough job. <laughs> 
I mean, if you do choose to go out and buy this car, you're basically owning a one of one. Nobody will be able to upstage uh, you at Cars and Coffee <laughs> in this yeah. BMW wagon. And those wheels look really, really good on this car. I love. Mm-hmm. I've seen this car in person. I didn't get to drive it, but it's it's amazingly clean. It's immaculate. It's a yeah. great, great, great car. It's a bit of a sleeper, and my God, is it quick! And and the nice thing is the gearbox is pretty short ratios because of the uh, M3's rear diff is different than what you get in the diesel car. Yeah. So you have this, you know, you just go gear, 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 gear as you drive and upshift through gears. I wish I had prepared. I've got a video of that. In fact, that's uh, you know you can do uh, down the straightaway of our track. You know, from a dead stop, you can be shifting. Uh, you could be in fifth by the end of the straight at like 120. So it's got really short gearing. It's quite a fun thing to do. And you could still leave it in high gear and ride the torque if you want, which is probably faster at times. Um, but that's a, a unique thing to see. You don't find those every day. They didn't even exist over in uh, in Europe. They only got the 330D, or is this the 335? Um, so more powerful power plant out of this. Yeah, I've ridden in a 335D uh, sedan that one of my buddies had uh, tuned and done. Apparently there's just like a set modification you can do to that M57 driveline to give it, like you said, like stupid amounts of torque for the size of car that it is. Mm-hmm. And it was incredibly quick and very much a sleeper. And it's just super cool to see that this is in a wagon and a manual, which just insane. Very, very cool. You know, creativity bonus points is what we're seeing here. This yeah. Is- oh, yeah. It's like an extra credit assignment where someone went, oh, I'm going to do this and put a manual in this wagon. Oh, by the way, I'm going to do all of this stuff too. Let's do the diesel and the M3 suspension and rear subframe and dip and, and brakes. It kind of is like uh, overachieving really, which is pretty cool to see something this, that's such complete work. This is my favorite type of build. Like, I Sure, I have an appreciation for crazy wild out there things. I'm the person who would want the crazy weird colored car that would stick out like a sore thumb <laughs> in a parking lot. But I have equally an appreciation for the whole OEM plus concept because like, yeah, this looks literally mm. like you could just go buy a BMW. You know, maybe the wheels are a bit different, but I'm such a proponent for bronze wheels. Like that's what I'm just waiting to get for my Miata. Um, so I, and especially on monochromatic cars, like bronze wheels, I'm iffy on certain colors, but like on a black or a white car or black and white in my case. How about a dark blue car? <laughs> Or Austin's car has bronze wheels. Yeah. <laughs> Austin's a huge wagon fan, even though you, you've got a little stubby wagon. Um, yeah, I got a Fiesta ST. It's basically a it's compressed wagon. Yeah, here's the... the so I, <laughs> I, uh, I just sent... I gave you this link here. I want to bring up one thing because we were talking a lot about the Rivian and kind of electric off-road. Um, and it just occurred to me when I had my Model X gone, we did a little off-roading in it. And at the beginning, in fact, that there's a really good clip where you can see coming over the hill with one wheel in the air. This is going to yeah. be something we're seeing. We've kind of seen a little bit of a Model S Plaid where you've got the two separate rear motors, which allow for torque vectoring. But the front does not have that. And on a normal EV product, you probably don't need independent wheel motors. But on something that's very off-road oriented like the Rivian, it's going to offer a whole new level of control where normally you'd be locking differentials, but there's some issues you run into with turning on solid surfaces with that. But the independent control, you're not going to, especially with an open diff, actually, that Model X clip was great of an example. When you come up, if one wheel loses traction, all the power is going to be sent that way because it's the path of least resistance for that force and that torque to take. 
but when you remove any other path other than the wheel, you all of a sudden have this kind of unseen drivetrain that realistically no one's had much of a chance to experience with, except for probably those within Rivian, uh, or maybe anyone who's built some sort of crazy home-built contraption. So I think we're going to see some pretty interesting off-road capabilities out of it as a result. And that just kind of popped in my head while we were, I don't know what, Delica, something made me think of it. Um, <laughs> I will say I, that video is like OG at a spec YouTube video. <laughs> yeah, that was probably like what the yeah. first I think I was wearing this shirt in it even. Yeah. No, you, you had a different shirt on. But oh, I had a different I was one on. Like okay, watching, yeah. I'm like, wow, that had to be like three or four years ago where you did yeah. that. Yeah, uh, that was uh, the Model X. It's the number eighteen hundred. That was brave of me to to go for a car that early. <laughs> and then I thought I, cool I just needed I needed more of it. It had been number three hundred and eighty seven on Model Three, as if like that was going to be a better experience. <laughs> but you know, you always got to be an early adopter if you want. I think. Yeah, so but the Model X, on. the door, the doors open automatically as you approach them. At least the front doors do, which is still the oh, best party trick ever. That's a great feature. I would pay money to have that in cars if it was an option. <laughs> like it's it's yeah, it's a weird thing, but like if you walked to a grocery store and the the doors didn't open automatically, you'd be a little like confused. You'd be like, huh, that's odd. That's how it felt for like the three months after I got rid of the Model X of walking up to the Model Three. I'm like, oh god, I have to do this the old like myself. Come on, <laughs> it's unfair. <laughs> But uh, there's yeah. a good clip that uh, Rivian shared of the um, R1T, or maybe it was R1S, going up a, a really steep climb in the desert. And you can see that, you can hear a lot of wheel, or you can hear tire squeal on the rock. But what you're not actually seeing is very much wheel spin, because it's just you know a little bit quicker than the actual speed of the vehicle. So there's that precision and control where you're treating each wheel separately, which is something that an ABS system already does in car but for the application of throttle, which you, no car has really been able to do it. I think we're gonna see some really impressive uh, stuff either from tricky handling or uh, you know, can, whether it be a slick surface on the road or even you know, very complicated off-road scenarios. I think we're gonna see some really cool stuff come out of that. I think that might be Rivian's secret sauce, truthfully, um, for a little while at least. Yeah, they've, they've got really cool stuff with just I mean, four motors. There's a lot you can do with that, including mm -hmm. the infamous tank turn that went yeah. viral. Yeah. So <laughs> I, yeah. We've so now that we're back on, to on Rivian, <laughs> real quick. So since you know, we've all been on the configurator and we've seen both the R1T, the R1S, uh, if you were to build and order your own actual Rivian, what color would you get? Because I'm all about compass yellow. I know it's expensive, but I think I love it. I just think that would looks great, especially in the R1T. But I can live with it on the R1S. That, that's great. That's one thing I wanted to mention that I forgot to mention is that their colors are phenomenal. I mean, yes. there's there's some good colors in the automotive world now, but there's also some very mediocre ones in BMW. Um, but the Howdy. some of these. <laughs> so, Welcome to Audi. What shade of gray or silver would you like? <laughs> or Mercedes. Mercedes is very guilty with that. Yeah, too, but... too. yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's. I maybe pull me, it up there. Yeah, it have to oh, be the forest green. I think I like the green a lot. I, I think there's a couple grays, which is nice to see. Like you have two kind of different silvers. Uh, the El Capitan or Capitan gray is a neat one. Uh, yeah. Kind of like a granite. 
Okay. Uh, but there's some brighter colors. There's more variety there. It's a nice selection. And for uh, a new manufacturers, they're offering something like that right out of the get-go is nice to see because that was one of the things Tesla scaled back on is colors because when you have a paint <laughs> shop, anytime you change colors is a downtime, there's cleaning, there's prep, and it, it really does. And actually, in fact, that was one of the reasons that we saw those issues we talked about earlier with the Tesla paint quality is just anytime you switch over a paint booth like that uh, paint shop, you are introducing more dust into the air. You're, there could be dried, uh, you know, residue left in nozzles or in, you know, certain equipment that then is causing those issues. So um, I think the funding Rivian has is probably enabling a little bit of this, you know, color spectrum because they're not as afraid to have those downtimes on the production line to offer this extra set of colors. Whereas Tesla's down to, I think, five colors right now, which is great for production. It means they don't really even have to plan it. But uh, it's nice to see some other EVs coming with color choice because I feel like I've been denied color choice for a while with EVs. Tesla just needs curious. to bring back a silver, and I'll be happy, like a true and silver. But I want anyway, the whole fleet. I want agreed, titanium yeah. back. <laughs> titanium and, and metallic silver need to come back. I think yeah. every Tesla in the lineup looks best in metallic silver or titanium. I will mm -hmm. I will fight to the death on that. <laughs> I'll I'll but join you. Course. I had a titanium one. I'll join you on that fight. Everyone thought it was crazy, but I quite liked it. Titanium <laughs> is one of the I think the best color Model X can come in. Um, Jordan, I agree. Forest green is great, but I think I'm with Mike Second on this favorite. one. The compass yellow is yes. just like it's so out there. It's just nuts. It reminds me of a Honda S2000, um, and I think it's wonderful. FJ. Um, yeah, the yellow. Yeah. I would take yeah. this, this and compass yellow, and then my Supra in nitro yellow, and I would just love my garage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you just click black? I realize I've never looked at what it looks like in black, and oh, that actually looks really sharp. Oh, yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. That limestone color. That limestone color is hot right now. Toyota has the what? What do yeah. they mm -hmm. call theirs? And then Ford has one Cement. too. Ford is cactus. Cactus, that's yeah. right. I think yeah, it's cool. I, want, I, I think it's a fad for a reason. It looks good. I, I know love Ford, it Ford is doing a bunch of backing on Rivian. And I wonder if they're also giving them any trade secrets like production. Like that's that. one thing that Ford does well. It's one thing that Ford does very well. Would sink through. Nice because I, when I was riding in the Lightning with Ford's off-road developer, um, I don't know what his title was, but like it was the coolest title ever. Like his literally director of driving off-road um <laughs> there's a lot of directors under automotive i'm yeah. vice oh. hold my beer and watch this <laughs> yeah so so many titles out there but you know i of course asked him because i was such a rivian fan i was like so did rivian help at all with this and he's like he's he's like i can't talk about it but <laughs> then he talked about it so he's like yeah rivian <laughs> did rivian did not contribute to this but i can't say it's true about the other way around Mm -hmm. um, and he made the excuse of, you know, we are Ford, we are truck people. It, he was almost offended that I had talked about Rivian. He was like, no, no, <laughs> we're the ones who do trucks. So I, I don't know. Well, maybe we'll, well then we've got a couple months to see who's the most truck capable. <laughs> and we'll see. But, so we'll have that guy put his money where his mouth is, I guess. But again, yeah. I, I don't think the Rivian really competes with the F-150 Lightning. I think they're two different lifestyles yeah. they're going after, you know. Mm -hmm. The F-150 Lightning is extremely important because it's going to bring a lot of people to EVs, no doubt. But the Rivian is going to, I think the Rivian will hit like that 
Tacoma market who wants to move up from a TRD Pro because obviously the, these trucks are more expensive, but it's just going to be a different experience. You don't have to modify your truck as much. I mean, most of it's just going to be there or, or capable of it. A capability perspective, yeah. I think uh, Ford seems to be a little lower cost, but if I've learned anything about the F-150, it's that you start at 27 and you can go all the way up to like 89, 95,000. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, who knows at this point? Yeah. And Rivian will announce a cheaper truck after they launch this one. So yep. it, it it's a smaller battery, I think they said, maybe two motors instead of four. Yeah, 250 mile range, which is arguably enough for most people, anyways. But mm -hmm. you know, just My like Tron does not get that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just like three, three, so hey, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm selfishly glad we came full circle to Rivian, but I think we will wrap up the show there. Thank you yeah. guys for coming on. Um, if you it's want a nice to holistic use... topic, yeah, I like, I like <laughs> this circle. <laughs> yeah, but definitely um, check out our main Twitter at out of spec. Um, but we also have our own stuff here. I'm at Jordan underscore Schieffer. Ben is Benji underscore OOS. Mike is M underscore Breeling. And Austin doesn't really use Twitter, but it's at Flywood Films on Instagram. <laughs> so, Instagram's very good too. Yeah, still valid. Um, so yeah, thank you guys so much for joining us and uh, we will catch you guys in the next one. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.